Well, the Jordan was about 100 feet wide. It was flooded with... Why didn't you tell me sooner? Just stand up and say something. So this Jordan River, it's 100 feet wide. It's flooded with spring waters. It's probably 40 feet deep, and the water is rushing down the river at this fast pace. it's, It's nearly impossible to cross. Imagine... 800, maybe a million people having to cross it. And there they are at the Jordan River looking at this riverbank and going, how are we going to get to the other side? That's what it looks like a lot of times in our lives when God wants to do something new and we've got to get there and we see this obstacle as as opposed to an opportunity and we wonder how we're going to get through it. Oftentimes, this is what I wrote. We are afraid to give him access in our lives. Often, we're afraid to give him control of our lives. Often, we're afraid to give him permission in our lives. And often, we're afraid to give him time in our life. And to get to the other side, we need to be willing to do that. So this morning, I want to look at three ways in which to get across a river, an obstacle, a fear. A circumstance in your life. But before I do that, I wanted to, um, Colleen, would you come up? I, I, we were talking last night and, and um, she found an amazing um, resource. Would you come up? I wanted to give you an amazing resource as a gift, but I also wanted you to share just briefly. So come on over to this microphone, would you, Colleen? This is Colleen Winnemore. And Colleen, would you share just that, that one thought that you had out of January 16th? And by the way, this is for you. I wanted to give this to you. It's um, a 1925 copy of Streams in the Desert. And it's something that, Colleen, you, um, you cherish. Yeah. And you live by these words of truth. And uh, I know you give a lot of these out. And um, so, where's Ed? He owes me 60 bucks. <laughs> but, um, no, I bought it on eBay. But here's January 16th. And you, you actually um, mentioned to me the idea of a storm. And mm-hmm. I wanted you just to read the first couple paragraphs for people and then share why that was important to you. And there was a great storm, is the verse, from Mark four thirty-seven. Some of the storms of life come suddenly, a great sorrow, a bitter disappointment, a crushing defeat. Some come... St- I don't have my glasses on slowly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's great. They, <laughs> they appear upon the ragged edges of the horizon, no larger than a man's hand, but trouble that seems so insignificant spreads until it covers the sky and overwhelms us. It is, yet it is in the storm that God equips us for service. When God wants an oak, he plants it on the moor where the storms will shake it and the rains will beat down upon it. And it is in the midnight battle with elements that the oak wins its rugged fiber and becomes the king of the forest. Is that where you want me to start? Yeah, yeah. Why, why did you point that out to me last night? What was going on or what's going on in your life that gave you, <laughs> oh, gosh. That, that kind of gave you a little confidence? This book is like my lifeline, um, besides the Bible, obviously. Um, I know. I didn't know I was going to be up here, babe. My husband just walked in. <laughs> um, I have cancer. I have a stage four breast cancer. I've had it for eight years. I um, 
it was in my, I had a double mastectomy, lost my hair, then I had, um, it came in my liver and my lung, I had three spots in my lung all over my liver, my liver was riddled actually with it, um, that was four and a half years ago, it's clear, my liver is, it's there, but they can't see it anymore, which is a miracle, and my lung is clear, and then it came in my brain, two and a half years ago, I've had six brain tumors in my brain, so... I know my husband's like, what's going on? But anyway, through all of this, I have learned, this book has been my lifeline, because when you look at, read this book, and there's a new edited version for people who don't like Bee and Bow, but um, it was um, edited by Jim Cohen. I think it's, it's not this guy, but anyway, she wrote this book. She's a contemporary of Oswald Chambers, and they were friends. And her husband was a missionary. He had an illness for seven years. And they put together this book, and it's all about having hope. So you can be the, you can be discouraged, and you read this book, and it just turns your perspective to God. And the storms of life, I was telling Todd last night, the storms of life, none of us like them. None of us like to go through storms. But that's what makes us cling to the Lord. That's what makes us look to him. And when we go through it, you are, it's like it's a blessing it doesn't feel like a blessing when you're in it, that's for sure. But if you're seeking him, the rewards are amazing. I feel like my cancer has been a blessing in my life. And when I say that, I don't mean it to sound trite because it's not easy. I have chemo again tomorrow. I have it every three weeks. And I'm in bed for a week. And then I slowly come out of it again and do well. So it's not easy. And none of our trials are easy. But I think when... I just feel like it's changed my life and that my marriage is stronger. My family is closer. My extended family, the healing that it's brought there. And I just feel like my relationship with my friends are deeper. And it's brought to me what is important in life. You know, and that's the Lord and my family and those I love. And, and it's given me a testimony because of what I'm going through to share with others what's so important to me. You know, so I just, uh, I love this book, and it means a lot to me. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. We love you guys. The river, like a storm, represents what you fear most, your greatest obstacle or circumstance, and, and you have to go through it. You really do in order to move on with God to get to the next place. You really have to face that. And so this morning, what I want to look at just briefly with with you is this passage in Joshua 3, and I found three key insights to moving forward. To crossing a river in your life, you need these three things. And here they are. Number one, you've got to go after the presence of God. Number two, we're going to discover uh, that you have to consecrate yourself. And number three, you've got to take the first step. It's true for all of us, every single one of us, whether it was handed to us or whether you really are ready to move forward and do something daring, go into some new territory, bring about some major change, and claim the promises of God on the other side. You really do. So here they are. Number one, you've got to go after the presence of God. You've got to see this in the story. Here it is. In Joshua, he says, they commanded the people, verse 3, saying that when you see the ark, see that? When you see the ark of the covenant, the Lord your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, 
then you shall set out from your place and go after it. You cannot go where God wants you to go without his presence. And if you don't sense his presence, you won't know where to go. It is that clear. It is the presence of God in your life. So you have to search for it. You have to seek for it. You have to want it. You have to be aware of it. There is a presence of God, and he is right there in the midst, and you cannot move forward without his presence. And it is such a powerful concept that five times in this text, Joshua reminds us about this. See, there's the first one. Really, there's six. There's another one. If you look over on the uh, 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 Joshua chapter 3, verse 8, you shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. I forgot to tell you that. The Ark of the Covenant was an acacia wood box covered in gold, and it was made in by the Israelites, as commanded by the Lord, to be the very thing that God would dwell, kind of be where he would dwell. It represented God's dwelling among his people. It was something physical that if they saw it, they knew God's presence was with them. They were aware of the presence of God wherever the ark was. And so they carried the ark with them because they wanted God's presence with them wherever they went because they couldn't get to where they were supposed to go without the presence of God. So the ark represented that, and and we find all throughout Scripture um, in Exodus chapter 25 that they're called to construct it in order that I may dwell with them. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 5 of Exodus, there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat and between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony... I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. This is where God speaks. Are we listening? Are we aware of his presence? Follow the ark. Wherever the ark goes, go. And then over in verse, as I mentioned, verse 8, it says they were carrying the ark. And if you jump over to verse 13, the feet of the priests who are carrying the ark. And then again in verse 14, People set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the ark. Again, in verse 15, the feet of the priests carrying the ark. And then again, verse 17, the priests who carried the ark. I mean, six times carrying the ark. There's something about the presence of God in our lives that gives us the confidence to move forward. And without it, and if we're not aware of it, if we're not working on it, We're not going to be able to go anywhere. God is present in our lives, and we have to see it. Often it comes through relationships. Often it comes by way of somebody encouraging you, or maybe you're reading something, or or there's a moment where you have a conversation with someone, and they remind you of something, and oh my gosh, that's the presence of God in my life. That's a confirmation. And then there's another one. I talked to someone just after the beach service who came up and and, and something happened in their life to give them an indication of a, of a next move in their profession, of moving into different relationships. I'm telling you, I really feel like God's presence was in our move this last year. It has opened up so many new relationships, so many new opportunities. We just met our neighbors. They're renting the house next door. They're from Texas, and he's an attorney working for AT&T. Oh, my goodness. We know some people at AT&T. 
that go to our church. And all, oh, what church? You have a church. Where does your church meet? It just totally has changed, even in our own community. Walked down the street yesterday, met another neighbor. And then we walked, you know, it's just, it's just out and about, and it's God's presence in our lives reminding us we are continuing to build new relationships in your life. It's what we want from you, from you and Denise. That's what God wants from us. It's his presence in our life. And so are we aware of it? And it's something you have to really grow in, by the way. And where do I get that from? Well, I was thinking about this. It's the story of Mary who gets word that she's going to carry the Christ child. Remember in Luke chapter 1. So she's the one who's going to get to carry the Christ child, and she's very afraid. And, and the angel says, have peace, because I am with you. You will be blessed. And then later in chapter 219, Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and often thought about them. Mary spent time thinking about the fact that God had given her peace and was going to be with her and it was going to be okay. How many times are you ready to set out and to do something new in your life, change a behavior, a thought life, a pattern, move maybe in a social group setting, or stand alone as a young person, or or make a decision about your faith, that I'm going to start growing spiritually. I'm going to get serious about this. I'm not going to mess around anymore. And then God's presence is with you. And you get some confirmation through a relationship, a new connection, a new friendship. Maybe, maybe you're connected to something that's written, some, some book or some scripture. There's lots of ways that God's word and God's presence can be known in you. And Mary treasured that. She worked at it. It doesn't come automatically, I don't believe. You don't automatically feel the awareness of God in your life. And for them, for the Israelites, it was a physical Ark of the Covenant. And that that was God's presence. What is it for you? What are those markers in your life? What are those things in your life that are giving you evidence that, that God is leading you? That the presence of God is in your life? Be aware of them. Pray for them. Open up your eyes. Slow down a little bit. They had three days to prepare themselves for this crossing. And then keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark. The presence of God in your life will move you forward. It's really hard, though, sometimes, isn't it? Um, Someone interviewed Yuri uh, Gagarin, who was the first Russian astronaut, first man in space, right? And and, and the the myth is, we're not sure if this this conversation really happened, but someone asked him, did you see God up there? And his response is, no, I didn't see him. But actually, I've read several accounts that maybe Khrushchev is the one who actually asked the question, and, and put that in Yuri's own words. We're not sure where it really originated from. It might have happened. It might have been Khrushchev. We're not sure. But the response was, no, I didn't see God up there. I'm in space. I'm looking, and there's no God. But I love W.A. Chriswall. He's a pastor in Dallas. And he was preaching on this, and he used this as an illustration. And then he said these words. If he had stepped out of that suit, he would have seen God. And sometimes we just need to step out of something that's holding us back. The suit that you're in, that's keeping you from seeing God in your life. Sometimes you need to, you need to ditch it so that you really do see God. 
Are you putting yourself in a place to do that? Number two, what I've discovered if you want to get across the river is you've got to consecrate yourself. You see that here in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. But you need to be ready. You need to be spiritually prepared. See, God does great things through sinners. God does his greatest things through saints. See, God can use all of us. And we're all imperfect. But what the Bible is telling us here is that as Joshua prepared the people for a great new thing that God was going to do, get them across the river, face their fear, their circumstance, an obstacle, and turn it into an opportunity to see the promises of God come, come alive in their lives, they first of all needed to consecrate themselves. The word consecrate in the Bible means literally to be set apart, to become holy. It reminds me of what 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter encourages us to be holy as God is holy. He says these words. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as you who are called holy, be holy in all you do. In other words, be set apart. Set your mind apart. Set your life apart. Set your actions apart. Set your, every part of your life, set it apart. And as Gregory uh, the Great in the 6th century wrote, he says, the art of separation, of consecration, of holiness, is learning to detach from the created things in order to attach to Christ himself. There has to be a detachment before you can attach. You've got to detach your life from something right now that you're holding on to. It may be a grudge. It may be a temptation. It may be an action. It may be a relationship. It may be you know what it is. You know what's holding you back. And you have to give that over to the Lord. Consecration is, is, is preparing your life for a new venture, a new adventure. But you must prepare yourself in through consecration. It's that, in the context... The Israelites were told to do two things. Abstain from sexual relations and wash their clothes. That was consecration for them. That's what they were commanded to do. And you think about it, it's, it's the purification of the body. Inside and out, the most intimate thing is sexual relations. In the inside, the heart, representing the heart, what's in your heart that needs to be basically eradicated? And on the outside, the clothing, they went down to the river and they washed their clothing as an outward sign of I'm changing, I'm desiring God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 19. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's far better to carry on in life with, less, with one less eye than for it to take you all the way down. Think about it. One thing can take you all the way down. Jesus then says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better that you lose one of the members of your body than your whole body. So there's this picture, this idea, that what is keeping us from crossing the river? Consecration is a holy process of giving over, detaching from the things that we're holding on to, and coming back to Christ and hearing his word. And then there's a, there's a second part of it, by the way. Consecration is also loving and practicing right biblical living. 
it, it's now that you now that you've done that, you have to move forward in something new. So I want to live correctly, biblically. I want to apply the Bible to these areas of my life. So you begin to do that. And you set out biblically, knowing what the word says, and apply it to your situation. Could be a habit, could be a thought, a way of thinking, jealousy. You cannot move forward with God until you deal with it. As I mentioned, God does great work through sinners, but his greatest works are done through saints. The third thing is you got to take the first step. You really have to take the first step. And here it is. We find it. It shall come about, verse 13, when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord with the, all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. This is really important. So it came about that when the people set out from the tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, when they carried the Ark, they came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. It's really flowing. They're in the water, and they're standing there waiting for something to happen. But they had to take the first step. You have to take. It really works to trust God. And proof is in the first step. It really is. But it's a first step. You have to be willing. I'm going to take that step. I'm going to do it. And the first step, and then you have to wait a little bit. You have to hang on. Because what's going on here is really important. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask Julie, I want to ask you a question. And I told you I was going to ask you a question. You don't know what the question is. But Julie, you're about to take a first step, a big step. And I just wanted you, would you stand? And, and I, this is right off, you know, you've got to just be really creative here. Um, you've got to tell us what it is that you're about to do. And this first step and how, just a little bit of how, how you got to where you're about, what you're about to do. Okay. Could you do that? Sure. So a year ago, uh, Fram and I started a nonprofit in Rwanda. It's called Yambi. Yambi is a Rwandan word that means embrace. So it's not just a physical hug. It's not just um, taking God with you in your back pocket. It is embracing culture, love, little kids, big kids, anybody who needs it. Um, how did we get there? I, for years, have been praying that I would anticipate God in my life, have open hands and open heart. And that's scary when we actually anticipate what he has for us because only God knows what he's really got for us and it might be huge and it might be a 25-hour flight away from where you're comfy and cozy and things are good and safe and there's, you know, kale in the fridge and you know where your next meal's coming from and all those good things. Um, and so we did. We took this step and with the hope and prayer of moving there, somebody took a job in the meantime um, to put that little, a good hurdle in our way, actually, because what that time of his new job gave us was time to get organized, time to think, time to pray, time to work. So last year, I went solo to Rwanda for five weeks. Um, one of the hardest things about that was it was the longest time we'd ever been away in 38 years, just from each other. So that was the first struggle. Um, I have always prayed, um, 
Lord, let me be your hands and feet. Always. I pray it to myself and I pray it in public. Um, what does that mean? That means literally, God, like, push my fanny, make my feet move. And when he does, you you say, but I can't do that. I don't have those tools. I'm not equipped. But wait, I've been approaching this open-handed, right? So I know that the only way I'm we are able to do this is with God holding our hand. And um, I don't know what I'm doing. I... We have a deaf school. We have 87 little kids who depend on us for food, for an egg a day. Uh, we, have, we, had, we have a preschool that had 30 children in the village where we finished building a library and a women's center and a community center. 30 kids came to the preschool. We started providing an egg a day to them because they have no protein. We now have 142 kids. A lot of girls, little ones, little girls are coming. Why? Because their mamas want them to get some protein. Um, it goes on and on. We have street kids that come out of the woodwork on Sunday afternoons to paint. Why? Because somebody is there to hold their hand, to love them, and let them learn about life and give them a hug. The projects go on and on and on. Steve knows he helped me deliver sheets to the deaf school last year. Um, cause I had already come home. So I'm leaving in three and a half weeks and, um, I can't wait cause there's so much to do and I'm praying that God directs my feet again. And, and this all happened because somebody else took a first step, right? Did Fran, you take a first step? You got to say something. You have to, because you took a first step and just let them know what that first step was. That is a long story. That all right. Well, you get a, you get a second here. You got to stand so they can they can see you, Fram. Uh, I um, I took a first step in faith. Uh, I was always wondering what God had for me, but I spent uh, thirty years of my life in a in a job thinking that I knew better what I needed than He knew. And uh, he came to me and told me that I didn't. Um, and it was a battle. Uh, he took away a lot from me. He took away uh, my ability to communicate, my ability to talk, my ability to, to do my trade, to make, make me stop and wait in the middle of the Jordan till I was ready. And that first step was to step away from that job and find something else. And that's when we went to Rwanda together. Todd and I had, had been with Jack before, and while it was an amazing place, it wasn't any place that I ever thought I would go back to. And he made me focus on it because that's the plan he has for us. Uh, and then right when I thought I fell back into old habits. I'm going to do this the way I'm going to do it, the way I want to do it. He said, no, not yet. You're not ready. And that's when he put the job at the CSU in front of me for a while to make me, to soften me, to make me more uh, contemplative, to make me see what people need and how much need there is out there and how to connect with them. And we're getting ready. Yeah. Thank you, Fram. Thank you, Julie and Fram. Um, 
It's a long time coming, and Fram's right. He stood in the Jordan, and this is the last point. If you notice in the text, it says that he dammed up the river, but he dammed it up 17 miles north of where they crossed. So they had to wait for 17 miles of water to continue flowing over their feet, trusting God, holding on, waiting. They took the first step, and now the waters are moving, and they're waiting for it to dry up. It didn't happen instantly. They had to wait. They had to hold tight to what they knew. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Fear keeps us in a desert. The courage to step out and cross the river heads us in a whole new land filled with milk and honey. It's, it's really up to us. It's, it's what God wants for us. So as we close this morning, I want you to write something down. Just one word, if you would, as, I, as you think about this idea of moving forward. One word that describes how you trust God right now. So think of it. How do you trust God right now? One word. How do you trust God? What's that word that you would use to describe how you trust God? Growing, weak, strong, just getting started, complete. Which one is it? Or is it some other word? You have no way to control the future. We don't even know what, what's in the future. But the good news is God's in control. See, you, you, there's a consecration, there's a focusing on the presence of God, and there's a step forward, and then the path appears. And you keep moving. You just keep moving. God can't do anything when we're huddled, when we're afraid, when we've stopped moving forward. So what's God calling you to do? And how would you describe that relationship that you have with the Lord? What is it that looks insurmountable, impossible in your life? Something you can't face financially, physically, health-wise, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. What is your Jordan River? And where do you need to go to step out in faith? And maybe what is it that's keeping you in the desert rather than stepping out? You know what it is. God has so much more. Let's pray. Father, as we sang earlier this morning, we want to experience your presence. We want to experience it even more. But first, we want to be even aware of it. Even in this moment, we want to be aware of your presence that you're working uh, in and through us right now. You're just, you're, you're present, Holy Spirit. And I know you're speaking to people's hearts. You are churning. You are addressing things that we don't want to address in our lives. You're, you're, you're taking us through a conversation. We're aware, Father, of, of, of something maybe even better that you have for us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reign in this place. You would reign upon us, Holy Spirit. And um, just receive, re- receive the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. Just, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit working in my life. I want it to come. I want, I want to know how to cross the Jordan in my life. And I, and I desire it, Lord, and I seek your presence. I want to consecrate myself this morning. And I want to take that first step. And I know what it is. I know what it is. And I'm going to give it to you right now.